Welcome to the Santa Cruz Coffee Break. If you're watching on YouTube or listening on Apple Podcasts, please follow, hit the like button, or any subscribes. It really helps us with the algorithms. Santa Cruz Coffee Break is produced by the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum. All opinions are those of the speakers. We invite you to join us on the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum at SCGCPF for more fun. Now, let's get on with this installment of Santa Cruz Coffee Break. I'd like to welcome everybody to the 36th Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum podcast. And today we're going to go right to Pete Madsen. Um, one of the purposes of this podcast is to expose you to players who, if you don't live in a region, you might not know that these really great players and teachers are out there. And Pete's regional for us here in, in the Francisco Bay area, but um, just a fantastic teacher, an unbelievable picker. As I was going through trying to figure out which, which uh, path to follow, whether it was gonna be finger picking or flat picking or whatever we we're gonna talk about. And then I'm enrolled in his electric Led Zeppelin class, you know? So it's pretty all over the board. I hope we have a good time. Welcome, Pete. Thank you, thank you. It's great to be here. Yeah, all over the board. Yeah, a little bit. We're going to cover all the wards here. So. I yeah, I'm 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 thinking that 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 is going to be fun. Now look, we can get to the speaker just like that. Um, so, Tad. Yeah, well, let, let's start at the beginning. Pete, okay. introduce. Yeah, Pete, <laughs> where 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 are you from? We know where you are now. Where'd you start out? Not far from where I am, <laughs> actually. <laughs> Uh, I grew up in the East Bay. I live in Richmond right now. I grew up in El Cerrito. Um, I have lived in Los Angeles and I lived in Norway for a short period of time Ooh. when I was a teenager. But for the most part, I'm an East Bay boy. That's uh, where I currently live. It's, uh, all the guitars and things that I'm surrounded by are in Richmond, California. Yeah. Uh, nobody, nobody keep We will edit that out so nobody goes by and tries to steal them all. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. I didn't tell you what the address is. No, no, no. Oh. This was East Richmond. East. This is oh, West. West South. Richmond. Yeah, that, that, that's where it is. Um, what'd you do as a kid? How'd you get, how'd you get, how'd, how'd you get to where you are? How did I get hooked? I can tell you how I got hooked on music and uh, it's kind of an obvious thing. I was a child of the sixties. And so, um, the Beatles, uh, were my first musical influence and, uh, I love the Beatles. Um, my first album I ever got was Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band. Um, I, I got so hooked on the Beatles, I told my mom I wanted to change my name to Paul. Um, she didn't go for it. Um, <laughs> I'm still Pete. Um, <laughs> and then it was Jimi Hendrix. I, you know, that was another sort of explosion in my mind. It's like, whoa, what's that? And from then on, it was pretty, you know, music was just always uh, a part of my life and part of my growing up and experiences. Um, it, I, I have had several different transitions into different types of music, and um, we could talk a long time about all of that. But um, the first sort of things that got me really rolling were the rock and roll of the 60s and 70s. So you started out, you picked, you got a guitar and started there? Yeah, I forced my parents to buy me an electric guitar. My first mm -hmm. guitar was a Harmony electric guitar. Um, I forget, and I had some small amplifier. Um, 
and I had that for a few years. Later on, when I moved to Norway, I got another electric guitar, uh, and that's when I started to actually practice <laughs> and play. I had, there's not a whole lot to do where I was living in Norway, so um, it was opportune time for me to actually play my guitar and practice and learn what I could at that time. So, so was it a Norwegian electric guitar? No, I don't, I don't Norwegian know. wood? Uh, <laughs> no, it was a <laughs> Japanese electric guitar. I think it was made from Japanese wood. Um, it was a Ibanez artist, as I recall. Yeah, it was a good guitar. It's like a Les Paul kind of type of guitar, double cutaway, and uh, really well made. Um, but um, again, I was, I was really into rock and roll at that time, listening to hard rock and ACDC and Van Halen, um, you know, Deep Purple. Those were my bands at that time. I, I, I'm sure you say the Beatles first. I'm sure you've seen the Get Back film. You know, it's funny. I've watched about half of it. Yeah. What, what, what's your thoughts on it? What, 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 how, how do you how do you look at it as, as where you're at in your age right now? And when you look back and think what was going on in your world when that was really happening? Um, so having well, first off, watching the the what I've watched of Get Back, it's minimally interesting to me to see how they were functioning, you know, in that studio. I also could tell, you could tell that they were getting ready to break up and go their separate ways and stuff. And it, it just, like, I look at John, and he goes, he doesn't seem very serious about this, you know. He feels like he's really into Yoko and all this. And um, So, I mean, I, so watching it on a level, I kind of wish I'd seen something like that maybe a couple years earlier with them, you know, like how they they wrote together i think it would have been more interesting for me not when the band is about to break up kind of thing um but it is kind of interesting you know like song like get back you know how did that come by they were always about you know anti-immigration things and stuff like that and I thought, oh that's kind of cool um, and you sit there and watch paul write let it be which is, yeah which is pretty astounding but um i'm amazed at how he kept the drugs and the alcohol out of it out of it I, I was told by someone who said he was around at the time that there was a lot of drugs and alcohol. Oh yeah, there was. Look at look at look at him. You know, I mean, Ringo's barely awake. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, for most I of it, he was just a quiet guy. Yeah, no, I mean, he's barely awake. But you can see it. You can see it in Paul, and you can see it in John. You know for sure. I just think you know. I think what's interesting, having grown up during that time as a kid. Uh, I grew up in Berkeley. My dad was a professor at Berkeley, and you had all the free speech stuff going on in, the, in some of the riots and stuff. That music is of a particular time, and for those of us who grew up in that time, it's going to have, I think, a certain amount of meaning to us. You know, when you know it was kind of anything goes musically. You know, it, it was just such an expansive period of music. And the Beatles were experimenting. They started off with primarily rock band, but then they brought in all these other elements and all the production stuff they did. And then Jimi Hendrix, like I say, you know, he he had this hard rock thing, but it was also he had the sort of folky Dylan influence and all this. Going. It was just so much that was allowed to happen. Uh, and, mm -hmm. you know, so when I look at that period of music and just the culture at the time, what was going on in the culture, you know, it was a lot of a big awakening for a lot of folks. And, um, if you didn't grow up during that time, people grow up later. I don't think you can fully sort of grasp that. You know, you can watch a CNN special or something. 
Hey, could you what was going on there? But you, if you weren't there, you know, it's kind of like, you know, yeah, this was this is what was happening. And even as a kid, you know, I was kind of aware, you know, Vietnam and, and you know, the protests and things going on, free speech, you know, it was, it was out there on the periphery. You know, I was still just a kid wanting to play, you know, football or whatever and stuff and play my guitar. But yeah, but it, it was. It's a very special time, I think, and it probably never be duplicated. It's it, it it is. I'm 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 of that same age. I'm of that same era, and grew up in that. And and I, and it, I look back now at, at what these guys were writing. You know, I mean, holy cow! It, 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 it's like, well, it's not a one four five, you know. And boy, that's a nice bridge, you know. Where'd that come from? And all that stuff. So and and you look at everybody else. You know, the Stones were working off the blues and, and Hendrix was working off the blues for sure. But mm -hmm. Peter, Paul and Mary were folk and, you know, all that was all that was going on. I mean, yeah. And I think it was at that point you weren't you weren't you weren't in one camp or the other necessarily. You would listen to a poppy syrupy song and or you would listen to Hendrix and Cream and the heavy stuff that was going on. I don't think it was so segmented and differentiated that you had to be in this camp or that camp. You know? I think that I think radio did that. Yeah, you know, because yeah. there wasn't a lot of, you know, there wasn't the Neil Young channel, you know, yeah. or, 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 yeah. or, or, or no Spotify at the time either. Yeah, know? yeah, there was no Spotify, you know, so there was no mixing it around. Um, were, were your parents supportive of playing music? Um, until you told them you wanted to do it forever. <laughs> you know, I think they were they were uh, politely uh, supportive. Um, it, it, you know, my parents said they wanted us kids, my my brother and my sister and I, to find our own way. They never really tried to force anything on us, you know, like you're going to be a doctor, or you're going to do this, you're going to do that. It was like you find out for yourself who you want to be and what you're going to do. So, in that way, it was supportive. I had a lot of freedom to do whatever I want. Maybe too much freedom to a certain extent, but. Um, uh, you know, it was always up to me, I think, to really sort of figure out what I wanted to do and what I wanted to play. Um, my father, he, he liked music a lot. Well, he loved music. He liked to listen to a lot of jazz and, and Louis Armstrong, Billie Holiday and stuff. And I think he tolerated the Beatles. Um, <laughs> he liked the song When I'm 64 because he was going to, <laughs> I think cause he was going to be 64 uh, at some point. But um, yeah, I think that it was more like, you know, all right, you know, I think the heavier stuff definitely wasn't going to, you know, they're like, why are you listening to that? But then eventually I had my own room and I was downstairs and I was a little separated from the rest of the family. So I could rock, <laughs> I could rock out on my own. The basement room. Yes. Mm -hmm. With a, with an out, with an exit to the garage. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it. Basement room, exit to the garage, some kind of toilet. Over. Yeah, there was yeah, there was. In, in the corner. Was, I don't know. I want to air about this, Richard. Some yeah. kind of toilet. <laughs> there was just like a toilet there, and you know, and sometimes we we had a real toilet. Yeah, we had a real toilet there. We had what, that. what was great? My my parents would go to bed pretty early, and I would sneak the car out from the garage, and I would take the car when I was like fifteen years old, and I'd back it out on this little hill, and then I started up. I can say that now because you know my parents aren't around here anymore, but. Uh, I know. Should I be admitting that on a podcast? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, maybe not. Okay, next question. 
<laughs> do you remember your first gig? Do you remember the first time you played out for people? I, I do. Um, I played at a talent show. Um, there was a group of like six of us. I think we had two or three guitar players. And we played at this talent show at a high school. And uh, I remember it was, it was just this one riff that we kept repeating over and over. <laughs> and I remember the riff. It was dun, 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 dun. Dun, 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 and it just we just i think somehow the repetition just kind of logged itself in my memory banks and that's all we did for like four minutes but so you're, you're like the precursor of edm what's edm <laughs> electronic dance music oh electronic dance music. sorry you're I, to make... I was thinking more it was more more on the lines of like a john lee hooker you know boogie Kind of like, I kind of in a slowed down way, but you know, no lyrics, no nothing. And it was just kind of like you know. But that was my first gig, talent show. I must have been about eleven or twelve, I want to say. So yeah. And, and did that band stay together long? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> I think after that gig, that was it. I don't remember what happened after that. Are you still are you still in touch with anybody you played with in high school? I am. And it's really an unusual situation. It's like eight or nine of us that were musicians in high school together are now getting on the phone once a month. Wow. Oh, it's wild. I, I so high school I didn't really play in any bands in high school, and that's when I went to Norway. So um I my I was thinking of my first real band where we played in some clubs and stuff. <laughs> I still have contact with like the singer in that band who was my girlfriend. Uh, and um, we, we, you know, we, she lives in Nashville now. So we just Facebook message each other and stuff. But uh, I don't think I'm in touch with anybody else from that band. It's too mm. bad. It's too bad. I'd like to know what they're doing. Yeah. I'll go, you know, I'll go find out. You know, they, we, uh, we learn differently. You know, we, we we had to learn either as, as a group or we had to like play the record slow, mm -hmm. you know, to or the tape slow to get it, you know, to, to get it. But and, we, and therefore we learned everything in the wrong key because <laughs> we slowed it down and the pitch didn't change or the pitch changed. Yeah, we learned a lot of stuff in E flat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, especially if you were listening to Andrews. Okay, you know, which is okay. I mean, yeah. E flat's a good key. Yeah. What the... Uh, what turned you onto the blues? What you, is there? A, is there was there an aha moment? Was there a? There was, uh, but I have to sort of differentiate between electric blues and acoustic blues, for me, and they're really kind of two different animals. And so is electric guitar and acoustic guitar. Completely. Uh, the first aha moment for me for electric blues was back in the '80s, and I saw Albert Collins, Texas blues guy, um, and it was an experience of of every note seemed to like just pierce you, you know, it was just, just the way he attacked the instrument was just like, every one of those notes had meaning in it. and it was just kind of, they called him the ice man. It was like an ice pick really, I mean, in a good way, having an ice pick kind of, just kind of, you know, it's like, whoa, that's, that, that, that's meaningful stuff, so. I saw him one other, one other time in Slims, and uh, his playing, you know, is very, he's a very unique player. He played in a, in a weird tuning, and um, I didn't sit down and try to cop a bunch of his licks or anything, but it's just uh, the expression he had in his playing, which is monumental. 
Um, for acoustic blues, it would that was a more of a different kind of uh, uh, trend, a thing for me. It was uh, I was listening as I got into acoustic stuff. I was listening more to like Leo Kaki and John Fahey and uh, Merle Travis. Those were my big three. And then I started to go, well, you know, where did this stuff all come from? So I started diving backwards into earlier blues stuff. Um, and as I sort of got more into, you know, learning the, the music of those players and really studying it pretty diligently, I was sort of like became enamored with like, you know, just the like, what was Blind Blake doing? I mean, you know, the, the, the recorded record of what we have there, if you don't. And on a guitar player, you, you're not, not really aware of what that person's really doing, but the way he would syncopate his bass lines and stuff like that, I was like, that was kind of an aha moment for me. It's like, this is incredible playing. You know, you th I think we have a tendency to think of life before we were on the planet as being sort of primitive and we're all constantly evolving. But this was, this was a style of playing that I was just like, this is one person playing an acoustic guitar and keeping separate bass lines and, and treble and things. So down in the acoustic realm was kind of a real aha moment for me. And the electric realm was the Albert Collins kind of experience. What, what, when was that when you were, what, you know, where are we talking about for time? Uh, for Albert Collins, it was probably mid-80s, 1986, 87, somewhere in there. They saw him with the acoustic blues. I started, I didn't even start playing fingerstyle acoustic till about 1998. Um, so early 2000s is when I started to actually discover the acoustic blues and dive into that arena. Have you done the Clarksdale trip? I have, actually, yeah. A few, years, a few years ago, my wife and I went to New Orleans and uh, we drove up uh, the highway with 49 um, and we headed up to Clarksdale, to Clarksdale, went to Morgan's Freeman's Club, Ground Zero. So I got him, Lucius Spiller, who was really good. Um, yeah. yeah. Have you yeah. heard him? Yeah, I I I saw something. I saw something there, and it was just probably the same guy. I mean, I don't know, but wow. I think he's a regular. I think he's a regular there. He's a Clarksdale native, and I think he plays. There's two big clubs there. There's Ground Zero, and there's another one. I think it's called Reds or something like that. Um, and he's probably a couple nights a week. He's probably at one of those clubs. He plays with the band sometimes. He plays solo sometimes, but. Yeah, he's an amazing player. He, and he really, he's not what you call a purist. You know, he's playing an electric guitar and some of it sounds like he's doing <clears throat> some of the pre-war blues stuff, but, but he's mixing it up with Hendrix and stuff like that. And it's just, it's a really neat uh, uh, combination of things he does. Cool. Wonderful. I'm trying to think what, I remember when I went, I was working in Nashville and I decided to drive over. So I got up real early in the morning and drove down there. And it was kind of like February maybe. And one of those kind of storms came through mm -hmm. and it was just freezing and raining and ugly cold. And I went to the museum and they had Muddy's gold top in the museum. They had the, the, the Muddy back by the cabin you know, and he'd stand there with his gold top and there's nobody in the museum. And I looked at the, the guy behind the counter and I said, how much to play the gold top? <laughs> and he said, I, I can't let you do it. And I, and I said, I'd like to make a big donation. 
to the Blues <laughs> Museum right now. Would you let me play that guitar for three minutes? That's all I want to do is play that guitar for three minutes. And he's like, okay, n nobody's here anyway. <laughs> As he walks up to the, the, the mannequin of Muddy, the door opens and a busload of Japanese tourists come uh. up. Oh, dang. I'm just like, okay, I guess that's it. Well, uh, we, well. we're, we're not going to hang around here for that. And I remember driving back in a horrible snowstorm back to Nashville, and I'm calling my wife on the phone going, can you give me, you know, before there's the weather channel and all this crap, I'm going, can you give me some kind of like weather information here? Because it's just getting worse. Oh, no, I can't help you. Uh, clear. I'll tell you, the guitar was probably not set up very well. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> Who would have wanted it anyway? Yeah, it was probably not. Yeah. Who wasn't... would have wanted to do that anyway? <laughs> I was in Memphis and I went to the Blues Museum that they have there and they have what they they call it an Albert Collins Telecaster. And it, he had a very distinctive Telecaster. It was a thin line, hollow body telly with, he had what we call low rider tape over the, um, the bridge thing. And this guitar looked kind of like that, but it wasn't. And I thought, is it? Are they trying to pass this off as his telly? Because I don't think it is. Because I, it was like a solid body telly, not the. Thin oh, line. yeah, he played a thin line. He played a thin line with a capo. It, yeah, know. a capo, and it had that little duck. You know, it's you know, he had little that little low rider tape, the reflective tape. Yeah. Uh, I don't um on the on the bridge cover and i go they pad the the, the t reflective tape on the bridge cover but i go this is not a thin line it doesn't look like it's been played that much you know and you know his guitar was always the, the thin line he played you could tell it was just yeah. frets were barely there you know kind of thing somebody um, probably came in and offered the guard a bunch of money to play the guitar. <laughs> where were you richard at that <laughs> I was not there, you know. I I almost got away with it. I thought it was gonna happen. What a gut ways to work for you, darn kids. Oh, darn kids. So, what? When did you know you were gonna do music? When did you really start doing music full time? I don't know. I'm still figuring it out. Really? Um, um, I mean, it's a, it's, it's a to me, it's like it's no sort of definitive cut, you know, thing where you know there's a progression of things. Um, I had done a lot of jobs in my life. Um, I used to do, I used to work for a science museum doing plays based on science. So we would write these shows, uh, with music and, you know, funny skits and stuff like that. And, um, it was a fun job. We would go scout schools and do these performances and stuff. So I, I told myself, well, I'm playing my guitar. I'm going there and I'm getting paid for it. So that's kind of cool. Um, and then we play gigs, you know, I was doing some other stuff around that. But finally, it just got to a point where I was starting to teach more. And I, I looked at the way other people were teaching. This is more says more about me as a teacher, I think, than as a performing musician. But I looked at the way other people were teaching music and I go, they're not really preparing anything they just kind of show up they're all good musicians but they're not really preparing things so i said you know what there's a there's a niche for me here to fill so i started really working on materials for teaching and that both informed my teaching and my performance stuff so as i started to do more of these solo 
figure style shows, which, you know, that opens up a lot of venues for you because people, you know, places that can't have a band with a lot of noise and stuff going on, you know, they, they can, you know, you can probably gig in other places, smaller venues and things like that as a solo acoustic player. Um, it's, so it's kind of an evolution of things, you know, I was getting more gigs doing that and I was also just teaching more. And as I did that, I finally said, I don't want to do this other stuff. And now I'm doing this. And then I got to write some books around it. And my affiliation with Acoustic Guitar Magazine has kept me rather busy for several years and, and just writing curriculum for them. And, um, yeah, that's kind of the way it evolved. This was never sort of a, a point where I'm just going to play music. Although I, I did, I was still at my job. I go, I got to do this on my own. I got to do this by myself. I remember I just, I can't work for another person anymore. That was, uh, I guess that was in a way, a way of sort of separating my life. And that was in my 40s when I did that. I want to say that's a theme that runs through a lot of musicians. Is it really? I don't know. I, I haven't. I just can't. I can't work for this guy. I just can't do that. Oh, know? yeah. Okay. I think I think I think, I think artists um, don't even want to make it all about guitar players, you know, but uh, photographers and all that, you know, they just get to a spot where they just go. I don't know. I'd rather starve than. You know. Yeah, I mean, I was I was doing okay, and I knew I could make a living, you know, having done it for several years, you know, sort of part time, and so I, I, I kind of felt I got to to a point of confidence, I guess, with the, you know the teaching and, and performing and stuff, where I I go, I can do this. You know, it's not that hard. You know, I you just, you just got to take it seriously. You know, I, I, that, that, that that's really true. We we've talked to um we've talked to Happy Trom, we've talked to Adam, we, we've talked to Taya. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of different ways people learn. Tim Tim Connell, the mandolinist, um, a lot of way different ways people teach and providing content versus just showing up. Providing content and with some understanding and and how how different people learn. You know, just understanding that not every you can't throw a page of music in front of everybody, and you can't just show somebody everybody that is some people people learn in different ways uh but it being music first and foremost you got to get them to listen and and so that's the nuts and bolts of it i hate it when i throw a sheet of music to someone and they haven't heard the song so really i should not throw this at you you should go listen to this song lots and lots of times and then and then go and they actually decide if you like the song too i mean because i teach a lot of the finger style blue stuff is really predicated on really learning the material the songs the compositions not and that's one thing that's kind of nice about it is you don't give people a ton of exercises some sure um but just learning a 12 bar verse is a great way to just sort of like okay i'm gonna learn this and and then you learn the the technique of playing fingerstyle blues but just playing a song and you got something in the end of the day to go hey i'll have a song in my back pocket you know so what was your question i don't know what i just I went yeah off. i went <laughs> off on a tangent there no no I, I i i think it's really amazing how people how people learn and your recognition of of that in different people you know people i learn differently I know I learn differently, um, but I think that that understanding that and and you said something about teaching them to listen. Do you remember? I, I had somebody open my ears 
I don't know how to say it any other way than that. But I had a situation where a really big time engineer sat me down in a really big studio and we listened to music. And he went, he just, my ears became open. You know, I mean, I know how many times I'd heard some things, but then I start to listen entirely differently. And I listen differently to this day. You know, I love those. Well, you mentioned that like engineer, you see some of these like videos and stuff of so-and-so in a studio or like palm cards, they're listening and they're like using different faders to bring in what we wouldn't have heard on a, on a final record or something like that. So here, this is where so-and-so did this thing. Listen to that. Isn't that great? You, where you can isolate things like that and you learn to listen to those things. It really becomes a really enriching experience. You know, if we're young, when I'm younger, it's it's all about the whole picture, right? You know, you a song, you know, played by a band has this broad, you know, just impression upon you. But then you start to, if you start to learn music and you learn, you know, not only say what the guitar player is doing, but what the bass player and what the drummer is doing and so forth, you sort of like, wow, this all fits together so nicely. And yet they're all doing different things, you know. Um, that becomes a real enriching and real kind of like, you know, beautiful kind of experience you know if you can hear music in that way if you can hear how those sums of parts come together as a uniform sound you know even if you don't like like certain pop bands or something like that if you listen to some of the orchestration and just the arrangements of the yeah. music you can just go my that's fantastic you know it's just you know you 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 really get that back to the beatles but you really get that impression from george martin mm -hmm. that he knew and, what he, he knew what he was doing <laughs> and he allowed them to experiment, you know, exactly you know. It, 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 to do anything, you know, but I, I, they're, 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 they're fighting pet sounds, you know, they're, they're, they're up against Brian and they're up against all this stuff. So, but really when you learn to listen, I, I mean, I still listen to things that I haven't heard in 10 or 15 years now. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, that's a cool part. Is that what he was doing there? Mm -hmm. oh that's interesting you know and yeah. it, it is very enriching yeah and i think that's part of you know the being a, a student of music you know that is getting you to listen in a different way getting like i was like i really like blah 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 okay well listen to this what is actually so it's like, and you sort of learn to the skills and the techniques and the dexterity you get this appreciation like learning early blues stuff you know hey these guys are keeping a steady bass line at the same time they're playing a melody what the i never you know i may have heard this before but i didn't really know what they were doing i remember the first time i heard merle travis i heard a song called blue smoke and uh i listened to the song i go eh, it's okay you know it's not like that and then i realized oh that's one guitar oh really <laughs> i was like i was just blown away that's one of the pivotal moments that got me playing in acoustic fingerstyle stuff i was like man if i can make my guitar sound like two guitars who needs a bass player you know yeah it's just trouble I, I, I love my bass player by the way so <laughs> i think a lot of what you're talking about is the, the difference between active participation and passive participation and i think that it's not just music i think it's a lot of things in life and i think it's a a problem with a lot of young people they don't learn how to actively participate in anything there's just so much stuff thrown at them the only way they can deal with it is passively uh, and just kind of let it slide by. But learning how to become an active participant in, in something like music, where you can listen to the different parts and listen to what's really going on, 
um, is incredibly enriching. Um, and it's one of the things that makes me so sad that, that our schools don't have the music and art programs that um, they really should have. Not just We'd have better people around. But that's just me. You can edit that out. <laughs> uh, that's a huge topic of conversation, but you're right. You know, schools, I, I feel sorry for schools. I feel sorry for teachers, you know. Yeah. I don't, don't get nearly enough money and support thrown at them, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and during this COVID era, it's just been, a, I know several teachers who just threw up their arms and quit. Yeah. Just... I, I sat on an advisory board for about 10 years for SPE, which is Society for Photographic Education. And boy, if you think there's people that are up to their wooganoogas in alligators right now, this is this is it because you don't need to go to school for four years to learn how to take a picture. You, know? you just have to buy a phone. You know, yeah, that's about <laughs> that's about it. And all of a sudden, all these classes that they taught for all these years. I mean, I, I would listen to these these instructors fight about one way or we're going to teach it this way and this way and i'm going you guys don't understand the kids have phones you know you don't get it something's going to change here you know and it's going to happen real fast and they're going oh no we're never going to see as much imaging imaging we won't see any photographs anymore and at that time i think we were seeing images of about 700 a day just in our normal day-to-day -day thing and now we see something like over 14 or something like that it's just yeah. yeah well that's another aspect of you know the whole education and as a music teacher as well guitar teachers the technology around things and using things like zoom to teach and uh you know being aware of the technology uh without it running your life you know kind of things like um and, and just you know just how what the tools are we use and what we can use and what how much it, it's it was just like uh, there's the amount of time I'm I'm from my own perspective, like how much time do I have to really learn the technology versus in and, and, and stuff that I think is really good for helping to teach versus creating the actual curriculum content type stuff. So I'm kind of, right now I'm just working more on video stuff. I bought myself a nice microphone and I bought myself a nice camera. So I've been working more on my video YouTube channel presence you know because i know that's videos <laughs> a lot of people are learning these days yeah. neither of which you're using but that's <laughs> yeah <laughs> i'm using a usb microphone right now so that's it, okay it, it, well, it's working that's okay that's i didn't want to i didn't want to, sort of, I didn't want to show off and try to get fancy here so so pete at what what level of students do you find you're, you're teaching uh largely are are they uh, beginning? Are they already have some uh, background playing guitar or tuning a guitar or more advanced? Uh, it's the full spectrum. Okay. Everything from beginners to uh, more advanced students. Um, uh, the more advanced the people are and the more they pick up, uh, the fewer of those I have. They, they, I think you get to a point as an advanced student where you pick it up on yourself by yourself on your own. You, I've shown you how to do it. You can go do it now, so you don't really need me. But, um, but sort of really beginner to intermediate is the bulk of my student clientele. And I have no problem teaching a beginner. I I, yeah. I like teaching beginners because I, I think um, getting them started off on the right foot is really important. And if they're going to enjoy music and enjoy the instrument. Um, uh, if if they have someone who's not as experienced, they might try to 
give them stuff that's over their head or over their fingers, you know, to assist. Right. Um, well, one of the, one of the reasons I asked is it seems to me remembering when my first guitar and, and everybody in my group guitar class, uh, 50 plus years ago, um, that nowadays it seems like the quality of instruments is so much better. And I'm wondering if you're noticing that with beginning guitar players, if they're walking in with instruments that, you know, you can tune and actually have decent action and, you know, a decent sound as opposed to, oh, I remember we'd spend the first half hour of class trying to tune some of these guitars that. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, no, that no, you're right. I think you're right. I think a very, a, a very correct statement is that instruments, even cheaper ones, are much made much better these days. Um, you know, sometimes you have a student comes in and says, "I had this guitar that I found in my closet, and it's got really high action." And you go, "Well, you should." I'm fortunate that I, when I teach my in-person stuff, that I teach out of a little shop in Berkeley called Timbre Folk, and there's a guy there who will actually work on the guitar for them. So I should say, you should have Mark, the guy's name's Mark, you should have Mark take a look at this and adjust the action for you so this becomes a playable guitar. Um, I think that's important too, is having, having, he's a real nice guy, having a nice guy, didn't have an attitude, who will like fix your guitar for you for a reasonable price and get you started off on the right foot again, just kind of just, you know, uh, you know, I do see it occasionally. A student come in and like, I learned to play this D chord. Look, and I go, my God, you're doing a lot of work because your strings are that high off of the fretboard. You know, I'm impressed. You know that you did that, but you know this is hard work. You know, you're making it much harder on yourself, or the guitar is making it much harder. Slide, sign up for my slide guitar class. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen I've seen stores do that where they go, good slide guitar. <laughs> You want to talk slide for a minute because I, I do. Yeah, 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 yeah. That was one of your questions, I guess, was like, um, how do I set up my guitar for slide? I don't really set it up any particular way. I'll put medium gauge strings on a, on a guitar, which increases the tension ever so slightly and raises st strings just a, a little bit above what people would consider normal action. So, um, I play a brand of slide guitar called bottleneck. So you bottleneck versus uh, lap slide. If you're playing like a dobro or lap slide guitar, you know, you, it's, the guitar will sit, you know, on your lap. And the strings are about that high off of the fretboard. And you're meant to be playing with a bar or steel or something like that. Bottleneck slide, you play the guitar like you normally play it. And you want to be able to fret notes and play, you know, stuff along with the slide stuff you play. So for me, um, Yes, I've been playing slide for a long time, and the better you get it, the the more you, the less you need a really high action to get a good sound. You can finesse it, in other words. But um, you know, some guitars that have really high action and you can't fret the notes, it's it's not good because uh, uh, you know if it's really high and you try to press down the string, you know the intonation is shot; it's gone. You you can't fret fret a note. So in the bottleneck world, where we want to be able to fret notes and use the slide, just a little bit above regular high action. And that's usually, I can usually do that with medium gauge strings. On another guitar, I might use light gauge strings or lower tension strings. Yeah. What do you use for a slide? Um, I, I have a friends at uh, Jim Dunlop who supply me with everything I want and slides and picks. Most of the time I use a, a, a ceramic slide, like this moonshine slide. 
but sometimes I'll use a brass one. Uh, occasionally, if I play an electric slide, I'll play uh, use a thin glass slide. And again, I sort of view electric slide and acoustic slide as like two different things, two different sets of techniques. Completely different worlds. Yeah, yeah, definitely. If you're using the gain of the amp or pedal for your electric slide. So you don't want a big heavy slide like this that'll bang and make a lot of noise, harder to control. And plus you've got the distortion slash amp that's providing the sustain for you. So you don't really need a heavy. A heavier slide for acoustic gives you more sound. More mass equals more sound. So for acoustic, something heavier like a ceramic or a brass, you know, relatively thick brass slide um, is gonna work better for you. But on the electric, thinner glass, thinner steel, something like that. And just the technique of damping the strings is different as well. You know, one thing that that I think we've seen come out of the pandemic is this Zoom instruction. You know, and and it, it didn't get a chance to really evolve. You know, it was all of a sudden one day everything was closed, and if you wanted to, if you, wanted, you know, if you wanted to work or you wanted to eat, you had to understand how to do that, mm -hmm. and you have to catch up pretty quick. Mm -hmm. I think, I hope I can take lessons until I'm ninety. You know, I hope I can find somebody that will continue to teach me because I think taking lessons and 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 working with a teacher that that you can relate to. You aren't going to quit guitar if you if you're still working on it, you know. Well, my sort of my two cents about Zoom is that there's the good and the bad of Zoom. Um, the good is I can reach many people from in far distances on Zoom, and you don't have to wear pants. You don't have to wear pants. No, I require people to wear pants in my classes. Um, um, yeah, and people have a glass of wine or something right next to them. You know, they're, they're very comfortable at home. Uh, so um, let's just talk about the pluses of the Zoom. So I can, especially when I do classes, like I do like multi-person classes, like the Led Zeppelin class I'm teaching right now. I can have a group of people there. Usually when, I, when I'm doing a class like that, I'm presenting. I'm spending, I'm spending a lot of time like, this is how you play this. And I'm not asking people to play back to me. Now that's both a plus and a minus, actually. They're, and you're hoping they have their mics turned off. I mute them. I have the control. Since it's my <laughs> meeting, I mute them all. But, you know, not to make that sound like, this is my class. No, I let them unmute themselves as we go and ask questions, you know, which is great. I find I invite that all the time. But the nice thing for them is like, people get very shy about playing in front of a teacher. I was like that in front of my teachers. My students, like they like when they play in front of me, is I played this so well at home, but now I'm like, yeah, I know, I understand. It doesn't matter what I say, they're going to be nervous about playing in front of me. So on Zoom, if you're uh, muted, you can noodle away um, and do things on your own without feeling like you're the world's hearing you. And it makes a lot of people more comfortable. And if you're comfortable, you're going to learn more. If you're uncomfortable, you put on the spot. You feel like you're gonna you're gonna tighten up, and you're gonna you're not gonna not as much information is gonna filter in. Also, with the Zoom things, like we're doing right now, like you're doing right, now, you record it. 
So you can come back and look at it later and you go, I was noodling away when he said this other stuff and I didn't catch that. So I can come back and do that. So I did it with all my classes. I tell my private students on Zoom, you know, you will record certain passages, you know, uh, rather than you having a, if it's an hour lesson, don't film the whole hour, just film the stuff that, you know, pertinent to what it is. So you had that to go back and look at and listen to. Uh, so it's great. That's really good. I mean, you could do that in person with a camera, right? You know, with your phone, like you said, you get it there and you can video record me as well. So uh, in that respect, it's kind of the same thing. So that's, that's a plus of a Zoom thing. You can, I can have people from all over the world in my classes. Um, they can, they can, noodle away in privacy they can be learning they can have captured for um posterity uh and come back the downside of that is um well a couple of things i'm not hearing them play so i can't give them feedback um so they may be like playing something totally wrong and i'm totally unaware of it you know um and that's where i think a teacher a private teacher coming to somebody in person is the best situation because yes well i'm criticizing you I'm, I'm giving you feedback to help you you know i'm, I'm giving you something that you can take away like you you i always talk about people using their thumb over the neck it's like you know try to get your thumb behind the neck that support your fingers and you know that's a that's a kind of a constant thing and if i notice people doing that and i nip it in the bud early then they can establish a better habit and become more facile and um better on the instrument so the direct feedback thing and seeing people and able to jam with people like the zoom thing too as you or probably know you have the latency issues and and stuff like that it's hard to jam with people it's hard to play together they may i, I may not be up on the latest greatest aspects of zoom they may be able to you know, reduce the latency stuff but a little bit yeah I think it's still an issue, and I've heard other various folks who've tried to address this issue. Uh, there was one company, I forgot the name of it now, but they were trying to create a, a, some algorithms or something where you could people could play together, but to my knowledge, it really hasn't worked out as of yet. You know, it, something that I I realized as you were talking about, about the, the person being nervous in front of in front of the, the teacher. So where's that guy in Guitar Center that's playing Stairway? <laughs> and is that you? <laughs> no, I do, it, I, do it, I do it on purpose. Yeah, I know. But, but where is that? You know, I haven't, I haven't run into that guy on a Zoom class yet. Because <laughs> he's muted. Yeah. <laughs> Well, I taught I taught Stairway in my last Zeppelin class, so if you want to hear everybody, no, I, I, no, 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 I, I just did. You know, it's just, it's, I mean, you walk into certain guitar stores and there's signs up that says no stairway. You know, yeah. and, and I thought that was just a Wayne's World thing. I thought no, it it's not. It's oh, it's, it's real. Not. It's it 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 is real. If you're really into the entertainment aspect of it, Guitar Center Hollywood about three forty five to five o'clock after they're out of school and before the parents come to get them. It's an experience. I, I do it every time I'm in LA, just for that, fun of it. That would actually be a great class, Pete, you know, songs you're not allowed to play at Guitar Center. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you I think I'll do that. I think you can I'll do it. I may sign up for it. <laughs> well, so obviously stairways one. What else? 
Um, wish, wish you were here. Freebird. 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 Yep. Wish you were here. Wish you were here for sure. Here, I think yeah. it's yeah, yeah, I just wanted people to. You'd have um, to pull a Beatles. You'd have to pull a Beatles out of there, but you can't because it's too good. Yeah. yeah. You might get some Stones. You might have a Stone song. I think it Oba Di Oba Da Beatles. I think you should, t- uh, but that doesn't really have a very good guitar line. But um, yeah, that'd be tough. But yeah. yeah, people might go look at you a little weird. But they've... yeah, they, they might they might <laughs> clear a path to the doorway. But yeah. I don't know. Okay, but I, I, I'm okay, calling okay. everybody first. What would be my song list for songs you should never play at Guitar Center? We'll we'll ask everybody on the forum to to submit their uh, answers for that to add to your class. Uh, yeah. We'll make this a, a, a group project for everybody who listens to the podcast and logs into the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum. Songs you, <laughs> never, you. Songs you never want to hear. <laughs> As taught by Pete Manson. <laughs> of course, I'd have to teach horrible versions of the songs, right? You know, it was just, yeah. you know. Well, not really. I mean, you could, you could, you could turn it into a whatever you wanted to you know i mean you could just have a hint of the song and and then and then let them yeah. let them get interested for about the first 30 seconds and then knock them over with 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 the full riff you know or or whatever i have well, been yeah stairway is easy you just turn the high tune the high e down like an eighth step yeah <laughs> don't blow his class tad Okay, I won't. All right, don't blow, don't pull his class. We we should we should we should have him talk a bit more about his his authorship, his book. Yeah, that's 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 exactly what I, I was going to. Here I we go. To, I want to apologize for for not mentioning, first of all, your writing with acoustic guitar, um, the cage system. Um, it's it's fascinating and 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 good stuff. So, let's hear a little bit about that. Well, I'm, I'll mention that the the. the the cage system thing. I wrote a book for Hal Leonard called The Cage System. And if you're not familiar with the, with the cage system, it's taking first position chords. If, if you even played just a little bit of guitar, you know C, A, G, E, and D. Uh, and you start to sort of think of those instead of like, those are just those chords. You can move those chord shapes. So it's kind of moving your thought from this is a chord to this is a chord shape that I can move up and down the neck of the guitar. So that's why it's called the cage system. Um, it's um, the book I in, in that book, I sort of introduced the cage system. I use major triads, minor triads and seventh chords. And then I give a bunch of sort of chord progression examples on and how you could use those shapes up and down the deck. Now, the book I really wanted to write was cool. not I'm sorry. Before you go too far, Pete, I would say pretend you're on the home shopping network. Hold the cover up in front of the uh, camera for us. I don't. Gosh. Oh boy, I don't have it here. Oh, okay. Never mind. That, that was a thoughtless move on my part. Um, <laughs> I thought you'd have a pile on your desk there, so that when people call or or send you an email, you can sign it real quick and ship it out. Um. Dang. Just I. I had some books here. Oh, God. All right, we'll edit it out. Don't worry. <laughs> oh, we're leaving it. <laughs> Feel free. I've already dug my own hole. I know. <laughs> Anyways, the book I really wanted to write. So you can find the cage, all the cage system uh, subtitle, uh, easy way to navigate the entire guitar neck. Okay. 
Well, the important part is by Pete Madsen. It's by Pete Madsen. So <laughs> I, I got some books out there. Uh, some have been done with regular with publishers and others have been done on my own. So I like the ones I do on my own because I write the book I want to write. So I did a book called Improvisation and Variations for Fingerstyle Blues Guitar. Insert copy. <laughs> Looks like that. Um, you can find it on my website if you're interested. Uh, go to learnbluesguitarnow.com. Okay, that's enough of that. Um, no, we're going to add more of that. Okay. Um, but improvisation and variations for fingerstyle blues guitars. So what I do in that book is just the fingerstyle blues songs that people have learned usually are three chord songs, first position chords, yada, yada. That's it, you know. But those songs are ripe for embellishment. So use, and using that cage system really helps with learn the fretboard and come up with variations slash improvisation on songs that you've already learned or if you haven't already learned them you learn them i teach like a half dozen or so songs in the book and then i show you embellishments and different verses using that cage system ideas so i have found the cage system for me to be a great tool for fingerstyle blues pre-war blues and and creating my own blues creating um which is another series i'm doing right now uh, um Zoom lesson on just making blues, uh, variations of blues verses, um, uh, which I find, you know, if you're going to play blues, at some point you're going to want to put your own stamp on it. And boy, here's a great way to put your own stamp out. Learn these chord variations up the neck. And it gives you sort of in instrumental breaks or um, just makes a song more interesting in general, I think. Of course, the first thing you want to do is learn the song. You know, what's Staggily by Mississippi John Hurt. Learn how that... Learn that song. Learn it the way Mississippi John Hurt did it. And then try these caged ideas up the neck. Then you can create new verses for that. So and I, I, so I did that cage book. And then after that, I, I self-published my own improvisation and variations on fingerstyle blues. I've done a couple of books on bottleneck slide. Uh, one of those is available on my website, uh, a guide to bottleneck slide. Um, the the book I use the most in my teaching is a book called A Guide to Acoustic Blues Guitar, which I wrote about 15 years ago, and I'm now working on volume two. So that's my main project right now in between lessons and classes. What I'm working on is putting this second volume of this book, A Guide to Acoustic Blues Guitar, which is essentially a collection of songs in the genre, standard tuning, open tuning, um, some slide, uh, some be some beginning exercises mixed in there. Uh, and uh, hopefully that book will be available by April. Wow. So. It's, not in the, it's not in the harbor in, uh, um, in, in some container ship? <laughs> no, 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 it's, no, it hasn't been shipped out yet. Um, I'm working on the recordings right now. I've done all the, the music notation tablature for the most part. I'm still working on some of those. Uh, it's probably about 35, 40 songs in it. Um, wow. I probably, I'm I've probably about four fifths of the way with the, with the music notation and probably a little more than halfway with the recorded so I like, I like to put recorded version my recorded version of the song from which you're going to learn the music stuff so i'm creating my own recordings of the songs 
plus people can look them up to hear the originals and uh so Wait, yeah that's... are you doing the are you doing the recording at home mm -hmm. right here in this room with this microphone yeah what is that microphone let's 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 geek it oh, there we go my geek uh it's a little bit it's just called a, a vanguard v13 um friend of mine engineering friend of mine recommended it um so i guess it's a newer company uh cost me about 800 bucks but he says it's it's, it's sounds like uh high uh, large diaphragm microphones that are uh worth twice as much so nice nice it's there's so many um eric sky a good friend is such a junkie on he loves akgs yeah well no it's it's it i got a i got a text from him the other night and he and i had done some recording up in santa cruz uh five or six years ago and he said remember that mic we used at keith's what was that was that an 87 or an 89 and I, back and said, I, I asked keith and he said it's an 89 and I, I i just texted it back to eric and he just went uh-oh <laughs> he, he took me through the Lewitt chain. He, he took me through all this stuff that's out there. And there's some really unbelievable microphones out there right now. You know, I, I, that's why I have to talk to an engineering friend to get because I, I, if left to my own devices, I probably would make a mistake. I, I mean, yeah, I, I, the, the, the market is so huge and it's so varied. You know, I mean, how, how do you find it? It's, when 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 we were starting it was neumann akg and sure <laughs> you know i mean that was that was what you got maybe you got a bogan or something like that but but that's what you had and now it's just it, it it's massive and you're just doing it to the computer with an interface uh yeah i use a focus right scarlet as my interface right. and yeah. there's a little there's a little preamp thing between that and the focus right as well uh or power power preamp um yeah that's it and it's just solo guitar part so sure. so uh, it's that it sounds pretty good for my for my for my ear i think it uh, it's great it sounds great if i'm recording like my own cd stuff i like to actually go to a studio with an engineer have another set of ears and somewhat so i'm not worrying about all this mic placement stuff and um I just want to focus on the performance stuff. But for this, these are smaller, shorter clips and stuff like that. And it would be cumbersome to try to do that at a studio, I think. So bring it on my own here. Dad? Yes? Um, should we talk about guitars at all? What's your favorite guitar? Uh, choosing a favorite guitar is like choosing a favorite child. Yes, thank you. Okay. I only have one child, so I have one favorite there. So. <laughs> you know, they're all they're all different. They do different things. Um, it's like I couldn't pick. I couldn't tell you what my favorite band is. It's got different moods, different things. Well, there goes that question. Yeah, that was going. Well, I'll, I'll tell you. I'll tell you about the guitars I play the most. Uh, okay. A, right here, I have a Martin Double O Eighteen. It's right behind me. Right uh huh. And I have a Martin OM Twenty Eight V. Uh, I've got my resonator guitar, my national style O. Um, those are the guitars I probably, acoustic guitars I probably play the most. Um, I've got a Laravee. God, I remember, can't forget the model number. Um, I at my studio. That's going to make its maiden voyage into the live performance next week. I'm going 
to be playing down at the Bistro in Hayward for their double IPA festival. Oh, yeah. Ooh. The star is the beer. I'm just the background, but uh, it's a fun time. I like to go down there and play. Um, I've done those a bunch of those in the past. Um, usually when I play an acoustic gig, I'll bring two guitars. I'll bring my resonator guitar and I'll bring like the OM28V or the double O. So I usually bring two string, two six string guitars. I have a 12 string uh, Taylor, a 355, uh, when I want to get my Leo Kaki on. Um, uh, then I have a bunch of electric guitars too. Wow. Um, the latest, well, latest acquisition is this Bel Air Green. Ooh. G&L Telecaster. Um, these, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the G&L stuff, but it's a company uh, Leo Fender started after he left Fender. And you know, obviously it looks like a Telecaster, but it's got these slightly beefier pickups, and they're really cool sounding. Um, I had to spend a little time on that guitar and get the right string gauges and set up the pickup heights and stuff like that to get the sound. But uh, once I did that, it sounds great. Nice. I have a, a warmest Stratocaster, which is my main guitar in my surf band. I have a electric surf band called Buzzy Frets. And uh, we play a combination of surf instrumentals, rockabilly, blues, funk, whatever we want to play. That, that's a trio. Um, and I play usually through a Fender uh, Deluxe Reverb 64 reissue. I also got a Fender 1967 Super Reverb, Blackface. Great amp, but big and heavy. Big, yeah, big. Uh, yeah, so I'm kind big of... loud and heavy. Yeah, big, loud, and heavy. Great sounding amp, but I just uh, that's why I went for the, the Deluxe Reverb. I, I said, you know, this is enough. Uh, it's, and it's not light. It's like a 35, 40-pound amplifier, but you get to a certain age, and you don't really want to lug around a big amp anymore. Yeah. That's... <laughs> It's, it's it's funny you say that because I have a uh, a deluxe reverb tone master coming in tomorrow or Saturday. Oh, uh, because it's only twenty two pounds or twenty three pounds. <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be real real interesting to hear. I, I I've heard some real interesting reports back on those that um, that they sound pretty good. I I don't know how you make them sound good without a tube in there, but. Um, uh, I'm I'm open. Yeah. Well, we're gonna I'm give open. it a try. You know. That's, I'm all sold yeah. on tube amplifier. Yeah, I'm kind of a tube nut when it comes to electric amplification. Yeah. Funny the way that is. You know, you want your tubes for your electric guitar, and you don't want them for your acoustic guitar. Do you uh, do you do you have pickups or do you use microphones for live? Yeah. Acoustic? You know, it's funny. That's a question I was just uh, answering one of my students. I have pickups installed in my, in my guitars. Um, it's I call them unnecessary evil. Um, I know like you, Eric Sky, he will not put a pickup in his guitar and he always has to have a microphone. You know, bring his own microphone to a gig. That's fine if you've got a sound, if the sound system is good and you've got someone who knows what they're doing with the sound. But a lot of gigs I play, I'm in charge of my own sound. You know, I'm in a small cafe or something like that. I'm using my an AER amplifier. Um, so I got, I got to have a pickup in it. Um, so... Uh, I told the student was asking me what kind of pickup I had in my resonator guitar, and I told him I have a Highlander pickup. And he goes, I like the sound you get out of that. I said, Yeah, but why do you want to put a pickup in your guitar? He goes, I just like the sound of it. I said, You know, personally, if I wasn't performing, 
I would not put pickups in my acoustic guitar. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that, yeah, it, that, 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 it is, they are necessary evils. Yeah, for acoustic guitars, it's just, it's not, you know, the guitar is going to sound better acoustically without any electronics than it will putting electronics in it. That's just the fact of the matter. I don't, I don't care what modeling stuff you come up with or anything. Um, I have to admit, too, that I don't like to spend a lot of time fussing around with gear. Um, like, you know, get, you know, work, get the real proper distance. I just like, I want to be able to dial it in and just leave it and go. So to that, in that respect, I'm not a super gearhead. I don't really want to spend a lot of time with, uh, messing around with things. Yeah. I just, uh, I just saw the punch brothers about two weeks ago and they all worked around one microphone, which, which was really for the situation that they were in, you know, we're in the Carmel Civic Center plot, you know, unbelievable acoustic room. I missed hearing uh, Thiele's vocals clearly. You know, it, 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 they didn't do that well. Well, historically, that's a technique that like bluegrass players would use because they only had one microphone. Right. So they actually, that's a skill and art of itself is learning how to use the microphone the feature whatever soloist is going and then getting the vocal you know mix right that you know uh, there are people who, like del mccurry is someone i saw yeah it's bad and they were they knew what they were doing they knew how to space themselves with the microphone and for all i know they brought their own microphone too because they know what that's going to sound like and how to work with that in, in performance but um yeah um well it was it was really beautiful to, to, to listen to because, you know, Chris Etheridge would be kind of in the background, but yet right up front if he moved in and, and you really, it was very visual. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, that it lends itself, I think, to that as well too. It's like you know who's soloing. Like if you're on a stage and four people are spread out and you hear a guitar, but you can't go, "Where's the guitar player?" But here, you know, like the you know that person has come up front. And you know they're the featured soloist, and yeah. The stand-up was um, amplified. That makes sense. It I does, mean, what, it what, does make complete sense. What can you do? I mean, it's he's down here. Yeah. You know, and, and to get the, you know, you have to, when you put a pickup or something in, in, in the stand-up bass players that I've worked with, you got to know where to place that pickup, you know, to, so it's not going to get too woofy or woody. Yeah. 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 Um, any interest outside of music? None. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, I like to, I like to hike. I've just started, just started taking up mountain biking. Um, I used to run a lot and I blew out my knees, but um, um, going to Marvel, the latest Marvel movie with my son, who's just a total Marvel uh, comics uh, movie nut. Um, cool. That's fun. That's about it, I guess. Yeah. I need some more hobbies, though. Do you think? If, well, if, if, if the pandemic were over right now and you were given a pair of airplane tickets anywhere in the world. Where would you go? Oh, oh where would I go? I'll tell you what. <laughs> right when the pandemic hit, my son had just graduated from high school. And we were supposed to take a trip to Japan Ooh. For, his, for his high school graduation. 
but that was going to be also when the Olympics were going to be held. So oh. that's going to be too crazy. Let's go to South Korea. So we had tickets to go to South Korea. So like I actually liked the first half. Japan, I would love to visit Japan. I've never been there. Uh, I think everything I've heard about Japan, Japanese culture sounds really interesting to me. I would love to visit Japan. That's probably number one on my list. Great choice. Great choice. Yeah. yeah. That's where my son chose to go when he graduated from college. We said, oh, you graduated. Oh, my goodness. Here, we're going to give you a plane ticket. <laughs> well, my son is in college and he's studying Japanese. So, ah, wow. so maybe that, uh, that trip will happen in a couple of years or something. I don't know. Uh, hopefully not that long. <laughs> Well, when he graduates, right? He's, he's a sophomore in college right now. So um, that could be a different graduation present. There you go. There you go. So um, now, oh, you almost got to see the uh, the great game come by here. Yeah. I'm, uh, my, wife's, my wife's gone all day today, so I'm dog sitting all day, and I'm just waiting for him to come charging through the room. Um, I, guess, I guess we have to ask you, What's the best piece of advice anybody ever gave you? <laughs> I'm still waiting for it. See, see how I'm, that worked. I'm still, I'm still waiting. What, what, what's the best piece of advice that you've ever, you've ever gotten, Dad or, or Richard? <laughs> Keep your options open. I think I, uh, I, I, I really do. I, you know, I follow your heart. Believe in, believe in believe in what you think is right i don't know see i, I have an internal voice and i want to say it's the best piece of advice but you know as a musician people you know you know to make a living as a musician you, you can people might say well you played a top 40 band you do this or that like you could do I, I wouldn't say there's any formula one formula for it um for me it was paying attention to my interests you know, um, I always followed my muse, as it were. Like, I like this. I'm going to study this. I have gone through a lot of many different styles of music. And, of course, I just by my nature, I just want to every few years, although I've been sort of steeped in this acoustic blues stuff for about 20 years. Um, it, um, I study different kind things because of my that's where my interest was, and that's what I was hearing. And... Um, uh, you know, from pop to rock to funk to some early jazz to the blues, the electric blues. Um, for me, that just keeps keeps me motivated and interested in playing and and not getting jaded or cynical about um, the whole music industry. It's like I've got my own little niche, you know. I'm not a household name or anything, I know, and I don't really care. Uh, but I'm able to make a living doing what I do because I've, have played a lot of different styles and i've you know i've sat down and actually you know gone to the curating process of creating content for my students so um there's there's a piece of advice i would give if, if you're going to be a teacher don't just show up you you know do something you know prepare some materials and hopefully you will enjoy putting those materials together because you'll see how your students respond to it and uh that'll tell you you know you get you get it for reward. It's like playing for an audience, right? You know, the reward for us performers is playing for an audience. Well, as a teacher, preparing materials that you give to your students and watch them responding in a positive way—that's the reward. That's that. I I think that's true. I I've taught a whole bunch in the photography video world, 
And uh, that was one thing that was a motivation for me in, in, in wanting to do that was I see all these other guys that would show up for this week workshop in Santa Fe and it would just be the fact that they were there, you know, and, and isn't it cool to hang with me? And it's like, you know, forget that, you know, I mean, people are, people are, if, if, if somebody comes to you to learn something, they're, first of all, they've chosen you. Secondly, they've changed their life around so they can be part of what you're doing. You got to have some respect for that, you know? I have said, and, and that gives me a perfect segue. I have to say, I have scheduled a lesson for four o'clock. Uh, I don't know if you yeah, but... <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll make it. Don't worry. Yeah, I mean... we're, I, I'm rapping. I'm rapping right now. I'm just uh, wanting to see if Kat's got anything to say. Well, You've I been think... unbelievable with your time. Yeah, it's been really great. But I think before we fade out entirely here, um, there are some people who are intelligent enough not to want to necessarily see our faces and they're simply listening to this as a podcast. So they won't see the screens that we put up with your web links and such. So do you want to give us all those uh, audibly for those people real quickly? Uh, yeah, so I've got two websites, uh, learnbluesguitarnow.com, L-E-A-R-N-B-L-U-E-S, now, N-O-W.com, and then PeteMadsenGuitar.com. Um, so are, are those cross-linked? If somebody finds one, they can find the other? Yeah. yeah. Perfect. I have to admit, I have not done a lot with the websites recently. I announced my classes on the LearnBluesGuitarNow.com website, so you'll see the current list of classes I'm teaching. Uh, you can get so see where my books and stuff are there. Um, if you're yeah, more, music still there. Yeah, yeah. And the, the, there's the music downloads for those books, too. Those good books get sold by me, where I send out a CD, but they also get sold by Amazon, which you don't get a CD. So if you order a book... And you want the music you can just go to that website and download the files right there um, i also have something called a true fire channel um t-r-u-e-f-i-r-e -E. these channels uh which have my channel has a ton of content it's about 250 videos wow a bunch of tablatures you can subscribe to it for 10 bucks a month um i usually put one or two or three or four new videos up there every month um how do we find that uh you just go to truefire truefire.com and search channels for pete madsen okay cool um, well great everybody else who actually wants to see our mugs will uh actually see all those links spelled out on the screen and, and everything else but thank you uh Thank you very much for sharing your time today with us. And uh, we hope everybody who's in the San Francisco Bay Area will get a chance to go out and see you live in the not too distant future. Um, I'm looking forward to when you get back and maybe teaching some classes at the Freight and Salvage again. Uh, I'm not sure. Uh, I've been teaching kind of on my own even before COVID. I said kind of wasn't oh, okay. Freight and Salvage anymore. Um, see how. But you could go through me, through my website, through uh, Tambor Folk, I think has a link, which is where I teach, Tambor Folk, T-I-M-B-R-E-F-O-L-K.com. Perfect. Uh, that's where I teach in Berkeley, California. And, um, and I want to thank you guys so much for allowing me to 
lather on here. It's been fun. <laughs> what, what, what fun? I, it, it, yeah. I, I was a little nervous because you know I've never really met. I know Tad knows shit, um, but um, I, I had a blast. Thanks, Pete. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. And I'm glad you're doing this series. And I saw a lot of my friends up there, and I'm gonna go listen to all the their their the, the interviews you did with them. All their troubles. Yeah. Thanks yeah. very much. You you have a fantastic afternoon. Okay. All right, guys. Take right. care. Be well, Pete. All right. And so everybody out there in uh, podcast land, remember to log into the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum and submit those requests for songs you can never play in the Guitar Center. We'll have beatwork on those. <laughs> Thanks very much. See you, Tad. Have, be well. You too. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed this installment of the Santa Cruz Coffee Break. For more music-related fun, please join the Santa Cruz Guitar Players Forum at scgcpf or santacruzguitarplayers.com. If you have any questions or possible podcast topics, please contact us. If you have a product or service that you feel would be of value to our listeners, please consider adding your support and keeping the coffee pot on. Contact us for more information. We ask that you hit the like, follow, bell or bookmark buttons so we can keep you informed of upcoming podcast episodes. We hope you enjoyed Santa Cruz Coffee Break. Now it's time to go play your guitar.